0: I tell you, these are uh, days of revival. I want you to look around, man. What a class! And uh, so good to see everyone here today. And and uh, wow, you guys are covering the room today. And and uh, Cindy, don't count today. Let's just say we got two hundred. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. But, but no kidding, There there is a hunger and a thirst for the Word of God. And I am so glad that you're here today in good numbers. Uh, we are going to look at Second Peter uh, chapter 2 verses 1 through 9 today. I do want to say a word about Tuesday. Tuesday is election day and... I hope that you'll go and vote, and as I preached about last Sunday, uh, don't lose heart, uh, don't have a fainting fit, uh, hang in there, and God has good things for His people. Now today, we're going to talk about those that are counterfeit Christians. And I want to read just one verse as we begin, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9. We're going to unpack the whole text, but I want to read just verse 9 as we begin. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation, and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Now, as we begin today, We find two different scenarios here. God says, I know how to rescue the godly. Boy, aren't you glad for that? But then God says, but I know how to keep evildoers reserved for punishment. Uh, We are bombarded daily by things that are not genuine, but are fake. There is a big industry out there for fake art. You can buy a Da Vinci, it just wasn't Da Vinci that did it, alright? You can buy a Raphael. it just wasn't him that did it. So there is a big industry out there today for things that are fake. I remember one time going to New York City and I was walking down the streets of New York City and literally everything possible they were selling, but it was fake, not real. So I uh, found a uh, marketeer there and I said, uh, you got any Oakley sunglasses? He said, yeah, I've got a bunch of them. I said, how much? He said, $10. I said, wow, man, that's a bargain. I said, I'll take a pair of them Oakley sunglasses for $10. Well, I got them for Kendra, our daughter. And uh, so Kendra was so proud of them. She said, man, I've got a pair of Oakleys. And she went to school and someone said, you know, they misspelled Oakley on your sunglasses. (laughs) 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 But... But we didn't have to worry about that too long because we were at the beach and I said, Kendra, I said, your Oakley is running down your face. (laughs) (laughs) Imitation. Things that are fake and phony. We live in a world of counterfeiting. What is true in the world sometimes is true in the kingdom of God. If you look in chapter 2 verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1 says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Now, Peter mentions two things there. He says, in the past, there were false prophets. He says, today, there are going to be false teachers. Now, as you look at the Word of God, you know in the Old Testament, there were many false prophets. They were not prophets of God, they were prophets of Satan and prophets of Baal, but they were false prophets. Now, Peter said, I want to warn you, what happened in the past with the prophets will happen today with teachers. Peter warns of the possibility of there being corruption in the doctrine of the Word of God. Unapologetically. I am not apologizing for this. I am saved by grace. I am washed in the blood. It's all God. It's not me. It's all because of Calvary. Now, I also, unapologetically, I am Baptist. If I wanted to be something else, I'd go to a different church. I don't know why in the world someone comes to a Baptist church and they want doctrine that's not found in the Baptist church, but over there in some other church. Man, listen, if you want to be Baptist, be Baptist. If you don't, don't. God bless you, find where you need to be. Unapologetic about that. I don't apologize for believer's baptism. I don't apologize for once saved, always saved. I don't apologize for the priesthood of the believer. I believe you ought to be what you are. I don't like fakes or phonies. Someone told me, they said, uh, they said, boy, when you preach, you preach just like you are. I said, yeah, I do. <laughs> Preaching is proclamation through personality. If not, you're a fake and you're a phony. God doesn't honor that. Alright, I've got to move quickly. Three aspects. Three aspects of the false teachers in the church. Number one, you find that Peter describes these false teachers. Now if you look at verses 1 through 3, it's not a pretty picture. In fact, in verses 2 and 3, it gets worse than it does in verse 1. Now Peter is describing these because he wants the church to spot them. He wants the church to identify them. And so, the first thing that Peter says is that they are deceptive. Now, verse number 1 says they will have heresies. and That word heresies means in the original language to make a choice. It also means to belong to a sect or a party. Now, let me unpack this. Think about this. If there is a heresy in a church, what you're saying is that I know that your doctrine is this, but I want you to come and join my sect. Far too many times, a church member will say this, are you on my side or the pastor's side? Are you on my side or the deacon's side? Are you on my side or her side? That is ungodly. It is from the pit of hell. It is. Because you and I are to be one body, one faith, we are to be one in Christ. It's not my church. It's not His church. It's not her church. It's the Lord's church. And so, a sect, a heresy seeks to divide the church. Peter is saying, be careful when there is this kind of division in the church. Alright, they're also described by their false words. Alright? Now, if you look in verse number 3, one translation, I think it's King James, says they have feigned words. Feigned words. Uh, my translation says they use false words. Uh, the Greek word there is the word plastos. It means they use plastic words. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? False teachers use plastic words. Feigned or false or plant. They can twist them and turn them. They don't take the Word of God for what is. They plasticize. I just made that word up, all right? (laughs) They plasticize the Word of God. It's plastic words. All right, now, also there is denial. Verse number one says, they even deny the Master. Let me tell you four things that every false teacher will deny. Number one, they deny the inspiration of the Scripture. Number two, they deny the sinfulness of man. Number three, they deny the sacrificial death of Christ. Number four, they deny the deity of Christ. They are deceivers. All right, but not only are they deceivers, but they're also described in verse number 2 as sensual. Verse number 2 says, "Many will follow their sensuality. They are driven by their own lust. Lust for power. Now you try and tell me that Jim Jones years ago didn't have a lust for power. He did. Jim and Tammy up there, they had a lust for power. On and on we could go. There is a lust for power in the false teachers. Uh, one person said, no telling what could be done in the Baptist church if no one cared who got the credit. A lot of truth in that. Now, also in verse number 3, they are described by their greed. It says, and in their greed they will exploit You. Uh, they are in it for the money. They are not called. They are hired. I told folks when I came here, I said, man, you can't hire me. I'm not for hire. You can call me. You may fire me one day, but I am a called man of God. There is a call of God upon the real, genuine preacher or prophet. Now, Jesus was poor had no house, had no home, had no car, had no telephone, and he was the most content person who ever lived. Warren Wiersbe one time said, Dr. Wiersbe said, religion can be a tremendous tool for exploiting weak people. And these false teachers use religion just to get what they can. They are not ministers, they are merchandisers. Oh now contrast those two words. These false teachers, they are not ministers, they are merchandisers. Have you ever heard someone on TV and they'll say, if you send in a gift, if you send ten dollars, we'll give you a handkerchief that came from the Holy Land. You know that? Holy Land's probably in China somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, it didn't come from the Holy Land. I remember Oral Roberts years ago was selling water from the Jordan River. (laughs) If you'll send in $10, I'll give you a Dixie cup full of water from the Jordan River. Merchandiser. So, Peter describes these false teachers. All right, number two, moving on to the second main point there. Not only are false teachers described, but they are also destroyed. Now, this is a weighty passage here, but uh, Peter saw an end for these false teachers, and he goes back to the Old Testament. And Peter looks at three examples to verify that these will be destroyed. Now one, he goes back to the fallen angels. Look at verse number 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment... We do not know everything about the fall of these angels, but here's what we can kind of put together. And this is kind of my commentary on it. If you look in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15, it could have been a million years ago, it could have been 10 million years ago, it could have been a billion years ago, we don't know. But there was a war in heaven before the creation of this world. And the war in heaven was between an archangel and God. Remember, there are three archangels. Who are they? Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. All right, there were three original archangels. Michael, what was his job? The war angel, angel of war. Fulfill God's righteous indignation, even dispute about the body of Moses, as we find the book of Jude. And then there was Gabriel. What's Gabriel's job? Messenger. He's a messenger. When Mary's gonna have a baby, Gabriel shows up. He's always a messenger. Lucifer. The one that seems to lead the worship and the praise in heaven. Also we find in Ezekiel that he is mentioned there. But in Isaiah chapter 14, 12-14, he is called the Son of the Morning or he's called the Bright and Shining One. Now, Revelation chapter 12, verse 4. I'm just giving you these references. You can look at them later. Revelation chapter 12, verse 4 talks about one-third of of the angels rebelling against God. One third of the angels in heaven. Now John down here asked me a question earlier and I thought it was a great question. How is it that these angels in heaven in the very presence of God, how in the world could they rebel against God and try to take over God's throne? Well, here's my opinion. Because worship is so powerful. Worship is so powerful. Music and praise is so powerful that it can steer people in the right direction or the wrong direction. I was uh, walking across the street the other day and, and my feet started vibrating. And the reason why, there was a guy in a pickup truck with his windows down, and I mean, they heard him in Oklahoma City. <laughs> caduce, boom, boom, caduce, boom, boom, caduce, boom, boom, boom. Of course, he was in there going, boom, boom, boom. He was moving with the music. You don't want to see that again, do you? <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you what. I... I heard some of the lyrics and I thought, God, if that pickup doesn't get zapped by lightning, I don't know what. I mean, I just thought God was going to rain down fire on that vehicle. Music can turn people's emotions in a bad way or a good way. You and I can sing all hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall, bring forth the royal diadem and crown Him Lord of all. Or we can go a different direction, can't we, in music? And so, it seems like when you piece together Isaiah 14, Revelation 12, that Satan was involved somehow around the throne of God, around the worship that was there. And so Peter says, God was just to take those angels who rebelled and to lock them up in hell. The word for hell here is the word Tartarus. The only place it's found in the New Testament is a special place in hell reserved for the angels that rebelled. Now, he moves on to another example. Verse number 5. And I know we're going quickly, but verse 5, he talks about the old world. For if God did not spare angels, that's verse 4, verse 5, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So in verse number 5, the old world. Genesis chapter 6 verse 3 indicates that God waited 100 and twenty years before the flood came on the earth. Noah preached for one hundred and twenty years and then the flood came. No one believed Noah's message. But God was faithful to His Word in that He judged the world with a flood. Got to move on. Third example. Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is verse 6 and then down in verse 9. Verse 6, And if He condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. So, Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis chapter 18, chapter 19. You can read about it. God's own opinion of Sodom and Gomorrah is found in Genesis 13, verse 13, and it says, "...but the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly." Where is Sodom and Gomorrah today? Not there. Not there. Buried, we think, we believe, under the Dead Sea. God buried those cities forever. Forever. All false teachers will be destroyed. God will have the final word, won't he? Alright, gotta move on. Third and last point. Third and last. And I know we could spend an hour on each of these points, but third and last, we find the true believers delivered. Alright, so Peter describes the false teachers, gives examples of how they will be destroyed. But then he ends up by saying, true believers will be delivered. And this is verses 5 through 9. But he really cites two examples. One is Noah in verse number 5. You see that in verse 5? He preserved Noah. Boy, you're talking about a man of God. Man, if I, if I preach and no one comes forward, I go away discouraged. He preached for 120 years and didn't have a convert except for his own family. Well, the other example is Lot. And we find that Lot was delivered also. If you look here in your Bible, uh, let's um, let's read 7 through 9, okay? 7 through 9. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. For by what he saw and heard that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. And then this wonderful verse 9, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. What about Lot? Well, you know the story. Lot had a famous uncle. Who's his uncle? Uncle Abraham, right? Uncle Abe. So Abraham goes to the very throne of God. Abraham intercedes for Lot and his family. God, if there's ten righteous, will you spare Sodom and Gomorrah? Oh, there's not ten there. Abraham goes back, God, if there's nine, God, if there's eight, God, if there's seven, six, five, four, on and down we go. And finally, God says, Get Lot out of there because I am getting ready to destroy the city. Well, not everyone got quite all the way out, did they? What about Lot's wife? Yeah, she became a big salt shaker, all right? A pillar of salt. but we do find that God was faithful to deliver the righteous. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. 2 Peter 3, verse 8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. Sometimes we say, Lord, why not today bring down judgment? Man, listen. God's timing is perfect. You and I count days. God says, one day to you may be a thousand years to me. If that's so, the Lord's been gone how long? Two days. A little over two days. So we need to beware of the counterfeit Christians. Peter describes them Destruction is seen, but deliverance for His people is sure. I have. Um, I want to close with this. I've given you something there you may be scratching your head about. And that's the grave of Ruth Graham. Right there on your notes. Let me close by telling you the story about this. If you look at the counterfeit Christians, y'all look at the real thing, shouldn't you? There's the real thing. Ruth and Billy were driving through Mississippi one day. They were driving in a construction area. and Billy was driving about two or three miles an hour, and Ruth was there in the passenger side. And Billy Graham, like any preacher, he has a heavy right foot. He said, I cannot stand this construction. I want to get going. I've got somewhere I need to be. And of course, Ruth is just the godly woman. Now, Billy, just be patient. And at the end, when the construction was done, there was this sign that said, End of construction. Thank you for your patience. And Ruth Graham turned to Billy and said, when I die, I want that on my tombstone. And it is, that's right. In Charlotte, North Carolina, the Billy Graham Library, you can go right there and find this tombstone with this inscription. Folks, I want to tell you something. When I die, I'm going to be done with the construction upon my life. I'm going to be translated, presented to the Lord, glorified. And I'm going to thank those who had to put up with me for however long I'm on the earth for their patience. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word today. Lord, I know the time's so short. But Father, I pray that we can spot the fakes, the phonies, spot the false doctrine. But Lord, I thank You that Your Word is so true that judgment is going to come for those who are the false prophets and false teachers. Lord, the evil of our day, it's going to be judged by You in Your time. But God, I want to praise Your name today that You preserve the godly, that You preserve the righteous, that we are covered and robed in the righteousness of Jesus. Thank You for that. In His wonderful name, Amen. Amen. Have a great day.